0: Please pray with me. Lord God, you have called us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Through your word and your power and your Holy Spirit, we pray that we may live lives worthy of you. As you have called Paul to be as a father in Jesus Christ to those who are new to faith, we pray, Lord, that we too will be guided with fatherly encouragement and motherly affection that as a family, may, we may be one in the Lord. Amen. 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 Many of us are coming from various traditions within the Christian church, and I actually think that that's a really, really good thing. Some of us may come from a tradition where we read the Bible daily on our own, some of us may have only been given cursory glances of what the Bible might say, and you're supposed to trust the person that's speaking to you on Sunday that they actually know what they're talking about. We'll see. One of the things that I wish to say is that whether we open the Scriptures and sometimes we feel that we know the truth, we feel like we're scholars, or whether we open it and we have no clue where to begin or what to even think, we come together together with the desire that God may speak and that we may understand the words that we receive more clearly. And one of the things that I also know is that despite where we come from, we also may have individuals who are quite new to the faith. We might have people who are here who are seeking to understand this very thing that's called Christianity because there is something that lies within ourselves or an observation within our world around us that seems insufficient, it seems incompatible and incomplete with what we think the world really should be. Paul's community in Thessalonica, though many years ago, is not that dissimilar from the picture that I am portraying to you now. This church most assuredly of newcomers to this faith were men and women who were Jewish that would have understood the prophetic and the biblical tone that Paul spoke to them in and wrote to them in. It would have had God-fears, people who were known as proselytes to the Jewish faith, that were just now starting to come to understand the people of God and God's story. It would have been filled with pagans who believed that there were spirits within the natural world, that they were demigods, that the emperor himself was somehow divine. There would have been those individuals that were seeking knowledge, secret knowledge that would lead to life, something that they themselves could obtain and gain, and not simply trust that there's nothing within ourselves, of ourselves, that can do it, save God. Lastly, there were most assuredly people that came to that church, that community, because they had already been rejected by life. Maybe it's because of their poverty, of their lack of education, their lack of ability, and when they came into that society, they saw that others in their midst, those that were supposed to care about them the most, their community, thought that they were lesser than, insufficient, incomplete, and not worthy. But most assuredly, though, one of the things that I find very interesting about this community, regardless of where they're coming from, there was one thing they had in common with Paul, that once they heard that powerful news, that, that word of Jesus Christ that brings new life, they themselves would face rejection. From the various communities that they came before, from their families, any place that they had brought their allegiances to. Yet within that time, and as Stephen had talked about in the first two weeks of this sermon series on the Thessalonians, in the haste of being able to meet these people and only initially being able to talk to them for three weeks, they were able to withstand the struggles and the persecution that they faced. And they withstood this for at least six years. Can you imagine that? Rejected by your family and your community. How is that possible? My offering today, and as we sort of dive into it, is through the imagery of parental care and a gift that they did not receive something that was simply a word, It was simply a truth or an axiom or a checklist that you can do to live the perfect life and be the happiest person in the world. We have plenty of that. It may work for a little bit, but it doesn't withstand the onslaught of the troubles and tribulations that we face in our life. Rather, in receiving a word, they also received it in what Paul calls in power and in the gift of the Holy Spirit. So within six years, they found themselves in a new community, a new kind of family And through that family, through that fellowship, they were entered into a new kind of relationship, and that was a relationship with the living God and the promise and the invitation to actually come closer into the kingdom of God. Today's lesson, I wish to focus on a gift of the Holy Spirit that we too have received. I believe that we're called to utilize it, foster it, and bring it together through God's help. And that gift is an aspect of personal discernment. The goal is to live in right relationship with others. With the Holy Spirit, God calls us and transforms us in different ways to foster relationships that build up those things that God wants in our life. And I'm not saying that it is a self-help book. What I'm saying is that Let's take Paul, for instance. Paul in Romans says, I do the things that I do not want to do and I cannot do the things that I want to do. He is able, because of the gift of the Spirit, to know what God desires of him. He's aware of when he is able to fall in line and he knows the struggles within himself through the gift of Scripture and being able to interpret it correctly. I believe that we are given that same gift. But before I I sort of explain how we are being given this gift, I wish to take a step back. Take a step back from this letter of Paul, how we've come to know Paul, and let's go back to the beginning. That Paul, before he was called to be an apostle, to the Paul that we hear about now and learn from, is a drastically different individual. Do we know this? Do we recognize this? Are we still awake? Okay. Partially. You got an extra hour of sleep. I mean, come on. No, I'm joking. Paul, at the very beginning, because of his love of his religion that he grew up in, that he wished to protect, I think anybody that knows something that is good in their lives, they want to protect it, especially if it feels like it's being attacked. He asked the religious authorities of those time to be given permission, force, and ability to go after followers of the way, those who are known Uh, to have received and heard the word of Jesus Christ and have become disciples. To not only find them, but to capture them and bring them to imprisonment and even to the point of possibly executing them. On the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Paul hears the word of Jesus and it transforms him in such a way that it overpowers him in such a way that that person who was of great strength and of great anger is transformed into an unassuming figure that becomes utterly dependent, like that of a child. He's commanded to go to a place and to await for a person that is the exact kind of person that he would want to persecute and take care of, if you will. There are three different Ananiases in the book of Acts. This unassuming figure also doesn't want to listen to God's word and go to this man named Saul who becomes Paul. But Paul must be vulnerable enough to receive the touch, the comfort and compassion of this man to lay hands on him so that his sight may be restored and he can be commissioned knowing that in his journey he is going to suffer in order to bring about the gospel news to Gentiles in the world, to kings in the world, and to the children of Israel. When he does this, this larger-than-life character brings others to the cause of Christ, And it's not through the power of the sword or strength. And he doesn't lose them because of his own failings and shortcomings and persecutions. Rather, the Paul that we see here, the Paul that we are called to connect with, is somebody that offers something very simple. He offers Christ and Christ alone. And he offers himself and relationship and vulnerability to other people. And this is in keeping with how Scripture sort of portrays God's relationship to his people. (coughs) If we take a look at the 103rd Psalm, chapter 13, or, uh, verse 13, it says, As a father shows compassion to his children, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him or stand in awe of him. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 66 offers something different. It says, The Lord tells those who are born out of Jerusalem as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. So the Spirit and the Word and power changed his demeanor. And in doing so, the man who had no children was able to look at these newcomers to Christ and see them as his own, as children of God. In chapter 2, verse 7, which is a verse that we have from last week that Stephen preached on, it says, Paul compares himself and Timothy and Silvanus to a, as gentle among you like a nursing mother, taking care Of her own children. In this ministry and in their conduct, they did not use flattery, they did not seek glory, they didn't even ask for a thank you in the ministry that they had. They didn't make demands of the people in their care. Rather, what it says is that they were desirous of their affection. Rather than seeking to control them by force and authority, they became vulnerable and simply offered themselves fully. The pure intention was simply to offer the gospel of God. This reminds me in my hospital chaplaincy of a particular story of a particular woman that I had the privilege to meet with and to sit with. I wish you to imagine a young woman, a young woman who gave birth much earlier than she should have been able to do. Her husband, thinking that the pregnancy would last longer than it did, was away in a conference and was fighting desperately to find a flight so that he could be by her side, but she was left alone. 28 hours later, she gave birth to a very healthy and precocious child. But exhausted, bruised, and without sleep, this mother now had a baby in the bassinet next to her bed, who was also exhausted. Who could not be consoled, who would not sleep and would not take the breast. So I was called in, and when I entered the room, all she could do was cry. Sitting down with her, I let her shed her tears, I let her speak her truth, and she shared, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I have what it takes to give her what she needs. And simply sitting there, allowing her to speak of what she feels and then what she herself has done, reflecting it back, allowing her to hear that she has already done so much, that she has just given life, that she has been in a very hard battle to where life has won and that she is giving of herself, and that is enough. So even though the baby is still crying at the bassinet next to her, That simple affirmation allows her to reach over into that bassinet and bring the child close to her chest. She offered herself. She didn't ask for a thanksgiving. She wasn't seeking glory. She couldn't make any demands of the child. I mean, come on, what's you going to do? All she could do was be vulnerable and offer herself so that the baby might know, regardless of how strong or how weak it may have felt, that there was something there, someone there that trusted and loved and she was saved. That's a beautiful thing. In like manner, Paul seeks to take away any burdens that we face. And he does so in a most beautiful way. He does it with compassion and humility. In our reading today in chapter 2, verse 11, Paul and his compatriots also sort of liken themselves to fathers. He likens themselves to fathers because they work day and night so that they may focus solely on the ministry of God's gospel when they are in the midst of this congregation. It is through their conduct then that the exhortation and the encouragement and the charge to walk in a manner that is worthy of God is then better received. It's because they've established trust. Despite the needs and opinions of the individual, by being able to establish trust And focusing solely on the growth of another allows them to teach what they believe to be truth. And it's the same way of a parent. Imagine, uh, well, the image that strikes me just randomly right now is I'm the baby of my family. And I remember the first day that my father and my mother, we packed up my brother to go to Washington and Lee after we had got him safely in his dorm room and embraced and said goodbye, and I was thinking, oh, do I get his room now? (laughs) The two-and-a-half to three-hour journey home to West Virginia, the car was silent, and my mother softly cried every once in a while. A parent that is hoping to speak truth And simply allow themselves to be fully present to the needs of that person is a lot like we worry about. And Paul, by being there for three weeks and then being gone and seeking to write this message, is seeking, is like, I want to ensure that you have what you need, what it takes, so that when you have to be separated from me, that in the midst of life, you're ready, you can and will endure. That's no small feat. Imagine then, again, a a father figure, again, coming from my hospital experiences. There was a man that I got to know for a number of months. And I had the privilege of seeing that uh, he would trade places with his wife every single night. In the morning, he would trade places to go to work in order to help provide for the family. But in the evening, he would come off work. He would sit in a little chair next to an isolette in the NICU, and he would talk to his child. He would remind that child of what his name was. He would remind him that his daddy was there, that he loved him very much, that he was praying for him all the time. He would talk to this child, hoping that he knew that he was safe and to find some strength within himself in order that he may continue to grow. Now, I'm sure that this man knew and believed that the child had no clue what was being said to him, but the child also understood his father's voice. I know that to be true from the very beginning. Yet something within his words and within his heart trusted that despite that lack of knowledge as we humans come to greater understanding, there was a trust that in repeating this night after night after night, the soul of the child would somehow know that it was not alone, that it was loved, and was called to trust in God for greater strength. Paul likewise in his work wishes to come to his children like that father night after night in Thessalonica. He does not want them to be discouraged or to feel unloved or to feel alone. They're being persecuted. He prays that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Through this petition, Paul urges them to grow. He encourages them to live a life that is godly, And he comforts them in their weakness. This is an example. These are many examples of trying to live rightly. Showing by example, love and courage. So trusting that through the gift of the Holy Spirit and through the gift of God's word, he dares to plant a seed, knowing that others may water, but if there is to be any growth amid persecution, strength, pride, that God will bring that growth and those things will sustain So if I may be bold, I wish to offer uh, what I believe is an important lesson and distinction that we have to consider for ourselves as a community. In the book of Acts, Paul was changed by Christ. He was chosen by God to suffer in order that others might hear. Yes, the people in that church were children of God. They were brothers and sisters in God but they are also more than simply recipients of God's care and God's love. They are to be companions and agents of God's kingdom. In our reading, and also going back in chapter 1 from our first week, listen to Stephen's sermon, it's really good. It says, they too are chosen by God. They too receive the word, not as the word of men, but the word of God. They too received it in power and the Holy Spirit Paul and Acts, Paul wrote this. Acts, Paul didn't write that. The exact same. So, in time, they too would grow by taking on the roles of motherly and fatherly affection and encouragement. So, I'd like to point out that as inheritors of this faith once delivered, we too are called to grow in these roles. It's not optional. And that's hard, it's not optional. If we are to grow worthy of the kingdom of God despite ourselves, then we must utilize the gifts that God has given to us. And so how do we do that? My answer, unfortunately and admittedly, is incomplete because I can't just offer you my opinion. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us in different ways what that might be. But a starting point is to begin at looking at our faith. Our faith is not simply individual belief in Christ. Nor is it in trying to find the right fit with a denomination that has all the right answers or makes you feel validated for what you already do and what you already believe. Rather, we are to look at our faith as in joining a new kind of family. Do we imagine ourselves as a family? Each person in this room comes from differing backgrounds and circumstances. And as such, we come together as children that are looking to grow. We are brothers and sisters. We are also called to live for one another. And by seeking to live rightly in our conduct, we offer our sacrifice and encouragement to one another so that we might grow. This is a hard task. Families are imperfect. The church is imperfect. It errs and will continue to do so and how we try to live not just as brothers and sisters but offering fatherly encouragement and motherly affection we too will fail but god calls us to try and to respond as we come to faith we're like a child that is born taking their first breath but we know that we must also grow and it takes a lot in order to do that when someone is hurt be present Embrace, listen, pray. When someone stumbles, first affirm them. Then help with confidence to guide them into a truth that maybe Scripture in and of itself can offer comfort and direction. If you stumble, if I stumble, when I stumble, do not put up a barrier or a boundary to where you cannot receive comfort or encouragement or even admonition. All of these are gifts of God. They are aspects of growing in spiritual maturity, and they are aspects of being a mother and a father in a church. The community at Incarnation is relatively new. My journey, my family's journey, is especially new. Are we a family? Do we want to grow together? Do we want to grow deeper where the word, the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments are faithfully administered? Do we wish to secure the needs of this people, individual and corporate, regardless of how that comes about? My prayer is that through the spirit of God and through that discernment that there will be a resounding yes for this. But so that we may find encouragement, I offer you not my words that God is calling you, but again, reorienting the words that Paul has given to the Thessalonians, I want you to imagine that Paul is writing this message to you. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ? at His coming. Is it not you? For when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. It's the word of God. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit. So my friends, if this is true, this is true for us and for you, let us then respond boldly, encouraging one another with gentleness and compassion. Let us not just be children of God. Let us be a family, fulfilling all the roles that he has given to us. Amen.